Yeah. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things you should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about how we don't even have the attention span to watch bad reality TV shows some days. Uh, we got super into the circle. What are you talking about? Oh my god, someone's pretending to be Lance Bass. Yes. Yes, they are. And they are not doing a great job of it, to be honest. Um, Lance was my favorite member of NSYNC, and he would never talk like this, says the person who was obsessed with him at the age of 13 and is, has not been his personal assistant for the past 14 years. Yeah. It's like, um, I've watched several things that had Lance Bass in it and listened to NSYNC a billion times. Hey, but Austin, who is the best boy band of all time? It's NSYNC. Yes. And oh, wait, no, no. Um, Johnny Orlando is not a boy band. He is a boy who sings. Uh, what about BTS? You know, I actually don't know enough about them to have a have an opinion. They're very good, but it's is like... Is that the one that has like 17 members? And it's like, everything is so like perfectly choreographed and it's so produced. It kind of like, it feels mechanical almost to me, but... I feel like I watched them on Jimmy Fallon and they had the entire studio to themselves because it was, it was like COVID central. So it was just BTS and the cameraman in their studio and they were fantastic. Oh, they are amazing, but it's just like so... There is always something that makes me a little nervous about any musical group, especially when comprising... I assume they're all late teens, early 20s, I assume. Yeah, I but think so. They, also, they could be 40 for all I know and just really beautiful, but um, I always worry a little bit when it's overly produced. Like, Remember when we watched America's Got Talent and there was that group of girl dancers who scared both of us? Oh my god, and yes. They looked so sad when they moved on to the next round because they had the worst stage moms and the face of the earth i yeah i remember like they'd cut to the audience shot of like the stage moms and oh they were frightening yeah so like one of these girls when they won burst into tears they got moved on and i'm watching her and i'm like those are not relieved or excited tears those are scared tears those are unhappy tears now i'm not saying that they're all moms who have kids in the performing arts or stage moms or that all kids who dance are you know treated like this or anything but this one group it was scary oh you could see like the look i saw on her face was we may have moved on but i made a mistake and i'm gonna get yelled at yeah yeah i felt so bad for them but that actually is a little relevant to what I'm, not fully relevant to what i'm talking about today but there's a there's an aspect of it oh this is a no real related to what i'm talking about today i mean i bet i could make it relate to what i'm talking about i today? bet I, I bet i could make it work okay we'll we'll revisit that once my segment's done Mm-hmm. So should we just jump right into it? I say let's jump right into it. Because it is hot in here. All right. So way back in our early episodes, I think it was episode two or three, maybe, Austin talked about Jim Jones and the Jonestown Massacre. Because I know Plenty of the Elder was episode one. I think it was like one of the first ones recorded, but we didn't release it until way later. Maybe. Oh, that sounds right. But uh, Austin talked about the Jonestown Massacre. Obviously, this all was a cult. So we all think we know what cults are, and they all look like that, so we're totally safe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What if we're wrong about all of this? Um, when have I ever been wrong about anything? Don't answer that, please. So today I'm talking about what a cult is and how to tell if you are falling for one or currently in one. Ooh. These are, this is actually definitely something we should have learned in school. We talked about, you know, peer pressure and blah, blah, blah. That's a major part of being in a cult. And maybe if we had framed things a little differently, because peer pressure as in like, here's some weed and I'm going to beat you up if you don't do it. That's not a real thing. 
Hey, kid, you want some free drugs? Oh, boy, do I ever, strange man that I've never seen before. Yeah, that's not what happens. But cult-like peer pressure behavior can start real young. So a common misconception about cults is that they must have a religious aspect. That is not true. A lot of them do, not all of them. Ultimately, a cult is any group that is fully committed to an idea or set of ideas. In nearly all cases, cults have four primary factors. Uh, this is how they get started anyway. This is not necessarily how things are maintained the whole way, but this is definitely how they start. One is a charismatic leader, someone who can get you to buy into what they're saying, who can read people really well, and who can get other people to spread their influence for them. Okay. Two, transcendent belief system. The belief that this group can get you to a better place in your life, whether that be a better financial place, a better place in terms of your health, a better place in terms of your mental health, a better place in terms of your ability to go to heaven, whatever it is, this group will make sure that you are able to lose that last 25 pounds in a week or whatever. Three, systems of control. It starts with convincing you that you are going to change your life and you are going to make the world better or one or the other. Then they usually slowly make you change your whole life to fit their desires. And then four, systems of influence, peer pressure, or older members modeling the behaviors for you and sucking you in. This can also be people who come to you and say, this person's financial advice is the only way I got out of debt, so you should do this too. I don't see another way you could possibly handle this situation. Or this weight loss program is the only thing that works. And so everyone should do it. And it's and in most cases they'll also say it's backed by science. It's backed by evidence. It's backed by blah blah blah. And you just believe them. Yeah. Um, and then if you go through the Googles and you research it, the first several pages will say this because it is all um, it's all biased. They've got the they've, they've got, got the powers of SEO on their side. They've got the powers of SEO on their side. And I love me some SEO. But if you have SEO plus big money, plus, you know, people who really know what they're doing and then maybe also some black hat techniques happening in there. Plus, you're willing to pay for lots of ads. There's you know, they're going to be on the first few pages. Mm. So the entire time you were talking about cults, at first I was trying to picture Creed performing all of those things, but then I realized, no, it is Ryan from The Office, not Creed, who's the real cult leader. Yes, 100%. Wow. Ryan from The Office is a cult leader. Besides, as Creed said, you make more money as a leader, but you have more fun as a follower. I would say out of everyone on The Office, Creed was having the most fun, like consistently. Yes, 100%. Now, I've personally seen in many of these cases that the person at the top is someone who actually genuinely has some kind of expertise, at least the ones who manage to get some kind of national or global following. They're people who are trained in an area or they have years of experience in an area that either is or is related to the thing that they are preaching. And then they say, well, because I have this experience, you, someone without this experience, or you, someone with way less experience, have to listen to me because I know more than you. I'm not naming any names in this unless I'm talking about something that is not a cult, by the way. Yes. Yeah, because we don't we don't want to get sued by a wellness group with like, you know, jade eggs or something. So they make these people who are less experienced than them feel like they have found a mentor, even someone they'll never actually meet, who they're willing to give all this money to and have their lives changed. Now, there are paid mentorships out there. There are companies that run paid mentorship programs. These are not cults. You actually do get to speak with this person and you can verify with third parties that this person is legitimate. 
from unbiased sources. Those are not cults. All right. I looked up how to pronounce this person's name and I got a couple of different pronunciations based on where she is from in the world. So I'm going to go with Yanya. Uh, according to Yanya Lalik, a cult expert from California State University, Chico, quote, the reality is that there's dozens and dozens and hundreds, if not thousands of these groups around our country and everywhere else in the world. Sometimes they're dangerous. Sometimes they're not. But they definitely flourish. I really believe everybody has been in a cult at some point. Oh, absolutely. Now that I've finished this research, everybody's been in a cult. I went through several sites and there seem to be some disagreements over what the specific subtypes are. Everybody seems to agree that they're benign and, oh shoot, what was the other word? Benign and benign destructive okay. cults. Everybody seems to believe that there are these two, these two basic groups, benign, destructive, I'll get more into those. These are the most common subtypes that popped up, though. So one is Eastern, spiritual beliefs mimicking those of Eastern religions, but they are extremists. Two, religious cults, focused on belief in a deity, often with a focus on the apocalypse, in which the leader takes an existing religion, any religion will do, does not have to be a specific type, and manipulates it for their own purposes. Physical punishment is common. They do a lot of faith healing, public confessions, etc. Three, political, racist, or terroristic. They want to change society in a way that suits them, often using violent or extremist language. There is lots of paramilitary training, and they are highly paranoid. Okay. Not naming names. No. Four, psychotherapy, human potential, and mass transformational. Self-improvement focused, with leadership basically claiming to have some kind of insight into the human condition and who are able to improve your life only through their methods. There's sometimes a lot of dream work, past life regression, hypnosis, and then shame when you don't succeed. Five, commercial and multi-level marketing. <laughs> Austin has also talked about this. Yes. It was the Ponzi scheme episode. Yes. They have a leader who has found the way to do something, like handle your finances or your medical considerations. Some of these do cross over with political cults, no matter, and, and some do religious as well. No matter what, people are supposed to put their own money into the system to get the leader's help and do things like attend seminars for hours or even days and then are told to sell the idea or the product to others. And there's a lot of magical thinking involved. Six is New Age cults. They give you some kind of divine power or insight. They usually often involve things like chakras and tarot. They have some faith healing aspects. Their leaders usually say they're some, the, that they, the leader, are some kind of medium or have a connection to some other realm. And then UFOs also fall into this. There are UFO-based cults. Ooh, I'm seeing lots of like overlaps. There are a lot of overlaps. And also, I want to make it clear before I go on, just because you are into any of these things doesn't necessarily mean you're in a cult. I have two sets of tarot cards myself. I don't follow a leader. <laughs> yeah, it's true. She is like I lead the incredibly cult. independent. Yeah, I don't follow any kind of leader. And, you know, she's a lone wolf. She's a cult of one. Then seven, a cult, satanic or black magic cults. Blood rituals, sacrifices, and the leader claims to be evil. They exist, probably not to the extent where most people think they do. The satanic panic fed into a lot of this. Yeah. But then we look at ones kind of like maybe the Manson family. So one. But I'd imagine that there are, in fact, others out there. Yes. 
But in some cases, I'd imagine a lot of these are also just teenagers who are experimenting with things they shouldn't be experimenting with, both because it might open a door to the other side and also because they're hurting things and people. Yeah. And some of them are just like, oh, he owns a black T-shirt. He is part of a satanic cult. Obviously. Yes. Um, and then also juggalos are often thrown into this. Yeah, I Juggalos. Yes, there are like, no, I mean, you can also find this within sync fans. Mm-hmm. There are juggalos who have done blood sacrifices. I'm sure there are also NSYNC fans who have done blood sacrifices. Yeah. But the the juggalos tend to get the bad rap. And that also goes under uh, number nine, which is cult of personality, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, uh, juggalos, by the way, are still technically classified as a gang by the U.S. justice system. Yeah. And they're fighting it all the time. It's like, we're not a gang. We're just fans of a band. Yeah, it's insane clown posse, right? Yep. Who have never, as far as I know, been like, go do blood sacrifices. Yeah, I like at worst it's like it's like been like commit crimes and steal stuff in their lyrics. I think that's been about it. Yeah, uh, and how many other musicians do that? All of them. I mean, Taylor Swift has a whole song, uh, "No Body, No Crime." Which oh, my only criticism I have of that entire album is at the beginning of "No Body, No Crime." There is a siren, and if you are driving, <laughs> and like every every fucking time, it's like, oh, where's the cop? God damn it, Taylor! All right, then we got eight one-on-one or family cults. Abusive relationships with one person who has control over another or others. It can be a parent, a partner, a teacher, a business leader. You're basically in something that claims to be some kind of family unit. And they have a position of control over a prolonged period of time. So you're not talking about a week-long summer camp. That is not going to turn into a cult, probably. We're talking about the teacher that you have all year or for several years in a row. We're talking about the boss that you really feel like you can't leave this job. Things like that. There is usually some kind of prolonged abuse. Doesn't necessarily mean physical or sexual, but those can be part of it. It can. It also is involves infilling, uh, instilling fear, insecurity, and isolation. And then nine is the cult of personality. People buy into the personality and interests of a certain leader, often um, someone who is into martial arts, performing arts, other types of art, medicine, etc. This often, but not always, involves training sessions, and there's a lot of egocentrism and elitism. Not always necessarily from the leader, but also from the people who um, follow. So people are like, well, I, like the hipster I knew before they were cool, or the ones who claim to now be experts, though the egocentrism and elitism also goes to them. Cult of personality may not even necessarily involve a leader who knows they're leading something. Kind of like how we expect Taylor Swift is going to swoop in and fix our roof. Yes. Even though she does not know we exist, even though we made eye contact at one time. <laughs> exactly. Now, does this mean every person who has a belief system or is religious is in a cult? No. Does this mean anybody who's a big fan of something is in a cult? No. Are all of these types of cults dangerous to the general public? No. Under all categories, even the occult ones, you can have a benign cult. Not all cults that in the occult arena do sacrifices of any kind, or if they do, they're kind of symbolic ones as opposed to actual ones. And honestly, most people who are involved with, quote unquote, the occult are like Wiccans who are chill. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. and all of this is like, it seems like there's a very fine line in like all of this, too. It's like it's there's a lot of overlap gray area. Like there's no like it's like you can't it's like it doesn't like flip from being like, oh, this is a benign cult to Oh, no, this is a problem. It seems like it's kind of like a spectrum. There's a cult Mm -hmm. spectrum. There is definitely a cult spectrum. There are also different levels of benign and destructive. There's a lot of crossover between the types of cults. And it can be very hard to tell if something is a religion or a cult. It comes down to the level of control they have over your life. And I don't mean you as an individual. I mean the group. 
Like I had a friend who growing up was in a church that told them that if they watched the TV show Lois and Clark, they were going to go to hell. That is cult-like behavior. Something where they are saying like, basically, we're watching you all times, you know, we know what you're doing. Or the ones, there was another cult in Oklahoma that would make children go up in front. They they would plan all these fun things. They would have these free parties you could go to and blah, blah, blah. It was a kid's church. But then if you were there for like a weekend thing, they would make children go up on stage and confess all of their sins to the whole group. That Oof. is a cult. Yeah, that's a cult. And that is part of the reason I was not well liked when I lived in Oklahoma, because I was not part of that cult and everyone else was. I was the wrong religion. And that includes the teachers in many cases. So are all cults dangerous to you as a person? I'd lean towards probably. This is because you end up with limited control over your own life or at least over your own way of thinking. You might be able to hold a normal job, live in a house, have a family, but the belief system is always in your mind and you're always trying to follow its rules or talk about it constantly. Now, it's like it's not the same thing as being a fan of something like you can be a fan of something that I would normally call a cult and you can talk about it. But if you somebody's like, oh, can you please stop? You're like, oh, OK. And you don't feel bad about stopping talking about it. You don't feel like you're letting them down, like letting down the leader by not talking about it. Um, You might think, you know, a cult when you see one. But remember, Jim Jones was loved by a lot of brilliant, high powered people. Yes, he was. They had no idea. He won the Martin Luther King Humanitarian Award. Harvey Milk was like buddies with him. These people who are influential but not cult leaders and did great things loved Jim Jones because they didn't see the cult signs until it was like, oh, shit, he's about to kill everybody. Yeah. So Stephen Hassan, a mind control expert and former cult member, says, quote, if you think it could never happen to you, then you're the most vulnerable. He agrees with Lelic that there are benign and destructive cults, saying, quote, there are healthy cults in the sense that you know what you're getting into. They don't control who you talk to and what and what you read. They answer your questions honestly, and you're free to leave if it doesn't work for you. Now, to me, I'm like, but how is that? a cult if you can if you don't have all the other stuff happening the one he the example he used actually was deadheads people who follow the grateful dead oh because you do kind of give up your whole life to go follow the grateful dead i don't know if they're still around but i i okay are or the, the people grateful who follow dead... fish around oh, the country God, or... fish like basically anything that where you're willing to give up everything else in your life to do it but that i can see how that would be a benign cult because if you're like you know what guys i need to go earn some money I need to go. I need to stop. I need to sell down. I have a job. Nobody's going to be like, no, we're keeping sell you out. Here. Yeah. Like nobody's going to force you to be remain a deadhead. Ooh. So like, say, for instance, rent, they were a cult kind of like we can't sell out. We have to stick to our weird bohemian ideals, even if it kills us. And we are not going to pay last year's rent or this year's rent. I don't remember which one it was. There is a certain level of cult of personality happening with that. Yeah. I'd have to think more about it to give you a definitive answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say uh, hard stance. Uh, rent is a cult. The lifestyle portrayed in rent might be. And also the rent. Some rent fans might. There might be a certain level of cultiness to. I mean, really, any fandom has a certain level of cultiness when you get to a certain point. You, you cannot tell me that Adina Menzel did not intentionally start a cult to worship her. Yeah, but she wouldn't have it be about rent. No. The problem is it's nearly impossible to know if what you're starting to buy into is benign or destructive. As he said, benign cults are honest with you up front. You know what you're getting into. You know what's expected of you. And you know you can leave. Destructive cults aren't going to be saying, no, you can never leave on day one. They are really good at lying. Think about it like an abusive relationship. If you go on a first date and someone punches you in the face, you're not going to go on a second date. 
they are going to pretend to be the kindest person in the world. They're going to make you feel great about yourself. They're going to make you feel like everything is getting better with them in your life. And then as time goes on and they've realized they've gotten the control over you, that's when they start manipulating you into what they want you to be. And you ultimately feel like you can't leave. Even if no one, I'm not talking just about a relationship, but about a cult type situation, even if no one has ever said you can't leave, it's been made clear that you can't leave. You're a bad person if you leave. You're betraying us. You're hurting us. You're hurting yourself. You're uh, And charities can also be cults. Oh, yeah. And if you leave, then who's going to take care of these people, these animals, whatever? These tigers? Uh, yeah, actually, that comes up. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm a smart person. I'm an educated person. I am a really independent person. I'm a strong-willed person. This could never happen to me. This has been studied. Is there a certain personality that is definitely going to fall for a cult? And is there a personality that's not? I'm going to say no, because there's such a variety of cults and things that they can appeal to. There is no psychopathology that goes into cults. Anybody can fall vulnerable to a cult. They that's because people tailor their sales pitches to you. They find that chink in your armor and that's where they aim. And everybody has one. Everybody has something that's missing. And these people are so smart and they can it's like on uh, Scrubs when Heather Graham shows up and she can immediately tell the thing you're most insecure about. That's what these people do. So, for instance, I was once pulled into an MLM. Yeah. I was briefly an MLM representative, briefly, like less than six months. The pitch had been tailored to me because the person who was who brought me in knew that I was in graduate school. I was struggling to pay my bills and they had supposedly made a good deal of money off of this and were just trying to help. And I was desperate. They saw that. That's what they went with was that I needed money. Here's a way to get make money. But of course, I had to pay into it first. And all the pro- almost all of the products ended up being purchased by me for me. They were good products, but now I look I look back and feel kind of icky. Or let's say even then you're in a Facebook group. You really like this Facebook group. And then someone says, hey, I'm in a group that's kind of similar to this. And based on what you just said, it sounds like you might really like it over there. And say, so like, okay, cool. Like, who hasn't done that? Like, this group sounds cool. You go over there and it's fun at first. And then they start having stricter and stricter rules and policing the language more and more. And they do it saying that they are inclusive and they are right and they are good. And I've even seen them in these groups tell people they aren't allowed to self-identify in certain ways because it's not the acceptable word within the group. If somebody like me brings up a scientific study saying that trigger warnings make PTSD uh, victims feel worse, they're screamed at or kicked out of the group. You cannot bring differing opinions or even ways of self-identifying into these inclusive groups. And that's the one I'm speaking of from my own personal experience. And by one, I mean several. Uh, Yeah. And it turns into a cult-like mentality where if you fall out of line, the entire group attacks you. These are Facebook groups and, you know, mommy groups on Facebook. Like, God forbid you take a photo of your child before they're completely strapped into their uh, to their car seat, because obviously you want your child to die. You just didn't think they looked cute in their jacket yet. You oh. want to take a picture. Um, How dare you not have a helmet on your child when you're carrying them in this when you have them in their stroller mm-hmm. or even like cat groups. People in cat groups are vicious because there is only one way to take care of your cat. Could one say that they are catty? Also, cats come up again later. The musical? That said, there are some people who are more vulnerable than others. 
So nobody is invulnerable, but some people are more vulnerable than others. And these are not so much hard and fast behavioral traits. These are situational and can affect anybody. This is more about where you are in your life than who you are as a person. People who are dissatisfied with their with their lives or are constantly stressed out. People who are very just very trusting. People who have low self-confidence. People who feel alone. People who are idealistic. So they tailor, tailor the pitches saying this helps others. People who feel something is just missing from their lives. People who are tired of this political cultural status quo. And people who have been looking for deeper meaning and can't find it. Most of these are situational. And I mean, who doesn't feel dissatisfied with their lives sometimes? And I have a feeling if you watched The Circle like we did, (laughs) the breathing expert talks about all of these things. And also, I have taught breathing. I don't know what he was doing. I mean, I could argue that he was technically breathing. He was technically about to hyperventilate. Yeah. Uh, Mental illnesses. I'm sure people are like, well, they must all they must all be mentally ill. Mental illnesses have been associated more with leaders than followers. Really? Most leaders have something along the lines of narcissistic personality disorder or and then there's also either antisocial personality disorder or basically anything where you are not capable of fully understanding that other people have feelings and that other people are just as good as you are. These are people who are really charming, really manipulative, and need to be the center of attention. Most uh, cult leaders exhibit signs of narcissistic personality disorder and are often diagnosed with it after being caught. It it also sounds like you're describing most CEOs. Yes. Um, And actually, there is a statistical link between narcissism or antisocial personality disorder and CEOs. When it comes to followers with mental illness, there is a there does seem to be a link to lack of access to of care. Like they live in a rural area, they can't get care. They live in a highly religious area where there just isn't a lot of care. The Bible Belt came up a lot in my research. However, that it was it was largely a question of what's a religion, what's a cult. We need to start looking at these areas that have a lot of religions as opposed to like a lot of places have a few religions that are followed. Like if you go to certain parts of the country that are not in the Bible Belt, they're like, yes, we have this population, this population, this, pop- this population. But if you look at a state that has 50 different religions, chances are there's at least one cult somewhere in there. Um, there seems to be a direct link between the lack of access to care, not a decision to not get care, but a lack of ability to get care. And addiction is probably the most common mental illness that affects them, followed by suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Cures are promised, as are things like housing, like in Tiger King. So remember, he had all of those homeless, alcoholic, addicted people living on his land who were supposedly caring for all the animals. And then several cult members who I have known, because I have known a weird number of cult members throughout my life. Austin pointed this out. He's like, like, how many cults have you, like, dealt with? I'm like, oh, shit. A lot. And I'm talking, like, legit recognized religious style cults, not just the other kinds. A lot of them were living with addiction and were sucked in by this cult that promised to fix them. We're here to support you. We can get you fixed. We can we can fix all of this. All you have to do is live on our grounds and clean for us and do all this work, and then we'll eventually feed you to a tiger. It's fine. Yeah, it's cool. Everyone wants to be eaten by tigers. All you got to do is get some sardine oil. Delicious, delicious sardine oil. Legitimate jobs can also be cults. I don't just mean MLMs. I mean actual normal jobs. If you follow the Ask a Manager blog, which is amazing, I don't think I've ever seen her use the word cult. I am not saying she has used the word cult. 
But she does talk about abusive working environments, which make you feel like you're a bad person if you don't follow every rule, work overtime, use open shaming tactics, or even donate money to the causes they support or directly to the company, or if it's a nonprofit, to them. In some cases, they even force you to like do a gift for the boss where everybody in the office contributes $50, $100, $200, no matter where you are in the company, no matter if you're a fucking intern. This is cult-like behavior. She always advises people to leave because they may begin to feel that this is normal and then be unable to adjust if they end up in in an actual healthy working environment. Not that I would know anything about that. No, this does not sound in any way like your experience in education. And other jobs. And not all of my experiences in education either. I had some amazing bosses and worked in amazing places. I also had ones who told me what kind and like color of shoes I was allowed to wear. She's also warned against workplaces that say things like, we are a family, because family comes with you love us no matter what. Cults can also come in the form of schools, sports teams, uh, both of which are kind of cults of personality type situations. The coach. We got to cover for the coach, even though he's abusing people. I mean, I I went to a certain college where they had a blurb in our newspaper about how a football player caught a parking attendant who was another student putting a boot on his car, got in his car roll and drove over the parking attendant and no, he was not allowed to press charges. Yeah. Because football. Football. Um, and of course, religions that take things too far. You can usually tell if they're if the religion is doing that because they're unwilling to answer questions. But if you start like if you're in a place where everybody only ever talks about the certain sports team and it's not even the season and it's like you're like, whoa, that you're kind of falling into a cult of personality situation, things like that. I might be in a little bit of a cult of personality for Patrick Mahomes. I don't even like sports and I really don't like football, but I'm kind of I just I just want to pinch his cheeks. I don't even think he's that much younger than me, but I want to pinch his cheeks. Oh, he is he's incredibly younger than us. And he is like he seems just so nice. He seems so nice. And that's part of the thing is you start buying into that, then all of a sudden you're paying him for his financial services. It's like, I, Patrick Mahomes, I know you listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I will give you 20 bucks to help me do my taxes next year. Patrick Mahomes, I will give you 20 bucks to just come give me a hug because you look like you give really good hugs. However, if that makes you uncomfortable, I will settle for a high five. Now, how can you tell something is a cult? The first thing to look out for is if they're giving you something for free before you join. A free personality ta- test, for instance. And I don't mean the ones that you seek out on the internet that tells you what your INFT thing your is. Your Myers-Briggs personality yeah, test. Yeah, I don't mean things like that. Although there are some of those types of programs that can get a little culty. That one in particular, not so much. There are people who can kind of start subcults off of those. Like, I'm going back to the Facebook group thing. Because, for instance, let's say a true crime podcast could have a couple of really great groups and then they start splintering off into the uh, destructive groups. So I'm sure there are Myers-Briggs groups like that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's just an INPT thing to say. <laughs> I, God damn it. Isn't that what I am? I don't fucking know. I, we did this a couple days ago. We've been meaning to talk about this on the show. Yeah. Um. So like a free personality test where they tell you what kind of personality you have, or in some cases, how many ghosts you have around you. I'm definitely not talking about a specific religion. Oh, no. Like, say for it, theoretically, if you were to take this personality test and they determined, uh-oh, you got too many ghosts. Well, they heap all kinds of praise on you, but tell you, you know what, though? I'm seeing this little problem, or... I can make these your strengths even stronger if you come join us. Red flag. All kinds of financial advice. Like they put it on a blog or on a short video and they're like, you're like, wow, this is really good advice. But the punchline you have to pay for? Red flag. 
lots of legitimate companies that aren't cults offer things like this for free. So if you're like, this happens a lot in Boston, you're walking down the street and you see somebody standing on a corner handing out miniature cans of Coca-Cola and a coupon for Coca-Cola. They're not trying to get you to join a cult. They're saying, hey, remember how good Coke is? Not cocaine, Coca-Cola. If they're handing out cocaine on the street corner, you probably should call someone because that shit is not cocaine. And also cocaine is illegal. And also that's a cop. So, so if someone's handing out cocaine, you have uh, you have gotten lost and you've ended up in a 1990s after school special. Yes. And first of all, you're in the 90s. You need to warn us about so many things about to happen. You could prevent 9-11. Second of all, you probably shouldn't take the cocaine. Yes. So, But they're not trying to get you to join the cult of Coca-Cola. They're giving you a coupon in hopes that you will buy Coca-Cola next time you're at the grocery store anyway. They're not asking you to go out of your way to do anything for them. Or if you go to a website that has a blog, that's really helpful. I'm going to actually mention two companies here, Talkspace and BetterHelp. Neither of them sponsor us. They they sponsor worse podcasts than this one. They should sponsor us. They sponsor a lot of podcasts. That's why I'm mentioning them, because most of you probably heard of them. They actually both have really good blogs. And the blogs are, I've used them, I believe, on our podcast before for research on mental health issues. The blogs are excellent. And they actually finish the blog. They don't leave you hanging at the end saying, for more information... Join now. Um, yeah. Now, they do say, if you want more, if you want assistance, join now. If you want, um, like, and if you need this kind of help, join now. There is a call to action at the end, but they don't refuse information. They And you do not have to join at any point to access that information. You can just go there and learn like, okay, my partner has obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm not talking about Austin. It's actually kind of the opposite. Um, (laughs) It's like, okay, BetterHelp has an article about this. They will tell you a good basic overview of of obsessive compulsive disorder without forcing you to join, give them money, give them support, advertise for them, anything. They don't want anything directly in return. They're just kind of putting it out there in hopes that maybe if you need their services, you'll use them. And it's the same thing for really big companies. If they, it has to be kind of niche. If it's something that's broad that everybody needs, like I need help making my financial situation better, you might be a little more looking at a cult. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like H&R Block, yeah. which also has a blog, and you can go to it and it will give you the basic information. And then it's like, if you need help with your taxes, here's how you can, how we can help you. They're not refusing any information from you. Unless, like, but you can't enter your own taxes for free, but it's like what is this like it's like what is this tax form? And they'll give you specific information exactly. about what that one does. But if it's um giving you financial advice and then saying, Come to our seminar, buy our book without giving you all the information you really need, probably a cult. Eliminate all financial hardness by coming to our seminar. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard to tell sometimes. It can be very hard to tell sometimes. But basically, find out if they're giving you the punchline. That will give you a lot of information about whether or not this is a group you can trust. The other way to look at it is, are they making promissory statements? Can is not promissory. Could, would, might, may, not promissory. Will is almost always promissory. We will fix this for you. This will happen for you. Those are things you should look for. Also, look for third-party reviews of them. Be aware of the ones that are overly happy and overly into it. Now, I'm not saying no five-star review is valid, but look at them and see, like, are they actually critiquing it? 
Or are they saying, this changed my life, this is amazing, blah, blah, and nothing else. Those are probably people who work for them. With anything you're looking at in terms of reviews, look at the middle of the ground, middle of the road ones, unless it's overwhelming positive or overwhelmingly negative, in which case you kind of need to do some more digging. But look for the ones that are like three, four stars and are like, I liked this, I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Those are the valid reviews. Those are people who actually came in with the intention of reviewing as opposed to praising or more often shaming. So that is how you kind of start when you think you might be falling for a cult or you might be playing for a job that's kind of a cult or something just doesn't feel quite right. That's how you start doing it. But let's say you're already in it and you may not even realize it yet. You may not even be suspecting anything. I want you to think about these things. This is back to Stephen Hassan. He says the signs of cult-like behavior fall under what he refers to as BITE, B-I-T-E. Behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. Behavior control is dictating how you behave both on and off-site, including things as simple as telling you when you can take vacations. I don't mean some jobs have blackout dates because they know that they're really busy at the time. But if you are in the hospital vomiting blood, they're probably not going to fire you. That's not a cult. That just means that they have blackout dates. Um, or being overly strict with the dress code. I don't mean places that have uniforms. I mean places that are, you know, like I had a former job where it was you had to wear. She really wanted all the women to wear heels and skirts, but we were able to stop that. This was not, you know, a casino where that is a it is a believe it or not, that is legal. What? You can legally tell women who work places that they have to wear skirts and heels. Huh. It is legal. Um, you could not wear more comfortable shoes without a doctor's note. And so if you had if you wore more comfortable shoes, then you had then you were had to announce to the entire company that you had a medical condition because you had to bring a doctor's note. To something as extreme as determining who you're allowed to love or threatening to hurt those around you or hurting you or making you hurt others. Then information control, lying, discouraging you from learning from sources other than them, instilling instilling an us versus them mentality, telling you to tattle on others, providing a lot of positive positive information about themselves from themselves, and twisting other sources into being fake news, forcing you to confess things you've done, and even sometimes refusing absolution once you do. So now they know about you, basically. It's a trade of information that you did not want to be part of. Thought control. There is only one truth. You can only think certain things. They might encourage hypnosis, discourage critical thinking. And these this part is often toxic positivity. Toxic positivity. Everything, you can just control it with good thoughts. Toxic positivity. And then emotional control. Your emotions are only allowed to align with the emotions that they allow. Any other ones are selfish. They teach you to stop having certain feelings, not learn to manage your feelings. Stop them. And they make you feel guilty. They make you feel like everything is your fault. They make you fearful of things outside of them. Uh, And they might even go from extreme praise to extreme violence, making you feel and make you feel like you can't leave or question anything they do. Again, we have all been in a cult. Yeah. Oh, my. All of this is reminding me of an interview I heard with Leah Remini about her experiences. And oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is a known cult. (laughs) Yeah. Some gentle ways to test if this is happening is to ask very basic questions or bring up something you learned from someplace else or ask why a decision was made. Not in a why'd you do that way, but in a, hey, I would really like to follow your instruction here, but I it would help me a lot to understand the methodology so that I can make sure I'm doing it effectively. If they answer in any shady way, refuse to answer or get mad at you, chances are at the very least you're in a shitty situation, if not a cult. 
leave. Get out of there. I don't care if it's your job. Run. And then Hassan, oh, and if you're scared to ask questions at all, leave. You are in a bad situation. You should never be afraid to ask. I mean, obviously, there are questions you shouldn't ask, but you should never be afraid of the entire concept of asking questions. Right. So Hassan makes this clear. Cults are a predator and prey situation. Austin can tell you. Do you hunt every animal the same way? No. Is there an effective way to hunt every animal? Just about. Like, there's individual ways to hunt very specific things like you i mean you probably can't you know go out and hunt ants very well mm -hmm. like, like you just, i mean they're just there or they're not like, i can't like and we're not I, talking about illegal hunting yeah like i, I mean, can't like Austin hunt like deep sea this. worms or anything but yeah i mean but if we could get to the deep sea i'm sure that they could find oh, a way to absolutely. hunt them. That's, a great... that's the thing though um you are the prey they are the predator something will eventually work on you you are a you are a land existing animal of an appropriate size. Eventually, they will find the weapon that works on you. <laughs> um, also, they like to, they really like to do this to people who have known vulnerabilities, like um, people with mental disabilities or think things like that, too. Like people who are less likely to know how to protect themselves. They are the, they are, they're the ones who don't have the, the rabbit holes to hide in. Um, Hassan also says, how long it takes to end up in a cult varies from person to person. It can take seconds if you are currently in the mental space that requires it and you need immediate help. It can also take years. Like, let's say you did that personality test and you felt pressure into giving them your phone number and you didn't think to give them a fake one. So you give them your phone number and they call you for years. I've read stories of people who even changed their phone numbers and they found their new number and kept calling. And yeah, you're annoyed and this is harassment and it's bad. But then let's say someone in your life just died and they happen to call the next day. You might be in that space now where you're willing to listen to them. They find that moment. I don't know how they all, they seem to know. They seem to know. Um, and I'm not going to go into how to get out of a cult because it's going to vary by situation by situation. But from what I could tell, it was generally not too much on like leaving an abusive situation, like abusive relationship, find a safe time, run, document everything. That's it. Like that is the overall thing, but it's going to vary from situation to situation. Um, and then my last point, a lot of the resources I found came from Tennessee which is part of the Bible Belt. Huh. And I was like, okay, you wouldn't think that a place that is has deep religious roots would have all of these articles about cults. Turns out, um, this is because a few years ago, they had a cult issue. Now, I am not saying that this group is a cult. I am saying that they were suspected of being a cult. I am reporting on the alleged cultiness because I don't want to get sued by them. And also, I did not do enough research to have an opinion anyway. But a lot of these articles came from a few years ago when there was a cat shelter, a nonprofit legitimate cat shelter called Eva's Eden that believed cats are divine entities that will carry the 144,000 souls mentioned in the Book of Revelations. It was run by a reverend who said she was a prophet. Now, I'm not going to go into any of the other details. If you want to learn more, it was called Eva's Eden. But damn, if that's not taking the whole cat person thing pretty far. I mean, it's like, I like cats, but I've seen one of them lick their butt so much they threw up. I don't think these are divine entities. I mean, I can see them being divine entities, but I don't think that they will organize enough to carry anybody anywhere. No. <laughs> All right. But that is the basics of what makes a cult, how to tell you if you're in one. 
or falling Ooh. for one. The end. Very cool. I love that. Like, really reminded me when you're talking about stuff. Also reminded me of like the Gamergate stuff of like the people who are vulnerable to this mm-hmm. to like fall into a certain belief system and do all this stuff. It's like wow. Yeah, Austin and I were talking earlier about like what like literally anything can be a cult. Being yeah. in the being in a certain Dungeons and Dragons group, and we both play D and D, so I don't feel bad about missing them. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is not a cult. A specific group that plays Dungeons and Dragons could be a cult. And we're not talking like satanic panic cult here. We're talking like you've got like the charismatic leader who you follow and he influences the way you think. Mm-hmm. Just like we're not talking Star Wars is not a cult. Star Wars fandom in general, not really a cult. But then you get these subsets that are like the off, honest to God, the political terrorist ones a lot of the time. Yeah. Who are really scary. And there's usually a charismatic leader. But then there are groups, and I didn't really get into this, that don't have the charismatic leader. And that's actually part of what draws people in is nobody knows who the leader is. There is a certain group that exists where they are widespread and have a specific set of beliefs that are well known. The person who started the group is and has always been anonymous and no one has ever figured out who it is. It could be somebody who is a known um, influencer within the group or it could be somebody who's dead for all they know. Or it could be several somebodies. Yeah. It could have been a 13 year old who thought this was funny. And then it got out of control. Mm hmm. So they don't always have a leader, they ha- but they do have to have influencers of some kind. I didn't get into that. Yeah. All right. So are you ready for your questions? I'm ready for my questions. All right. So these are questions about whether or not this would show up on a test. Would this be on the test? Not all cults are religious. Yes. Cults can be benign or destructive. Yes. Anyone can fall prey to a cult. See, I'm going to say no, because that would imply that the authority figures around you could fall victim to a cult. Or the authority figures around you could be cult leaders. Yeah. Because I definitely still have some trauma left over from a teacher who was running a fucking cult. Mm-hmm. And it's been almost 20 years and I am still dealing with the fucked upness of what I now understand I was part of. Yeah. Um, fandoms can turn into cults. Yes. And you need to be wary of anyone who can promises they can fix you. Again, that should be on the test, but it depends on who's giving the test. Because if it's a cult giving this test, that won't be on there. Well, yeah, we're talking about school tests, bro. Sometimes schools are cults. That is true. Um, That is true. Like, the people who are obsessed. Up, and again, it's it's usually not the overarching group. Yeah. Like, usually, like, the true crime podcasts are not running a cult. People within the subgroups are kind of running cults. So if we look at... A university. Chances are the university is not a cult, but then you get the people who are obsessive fans of that university, and that's where it can get culty. Or you now, get like if a... it's a university that is attached to a cult, not that we can think of any of those. Oh, no. Um, the university itself is not the cult. The church is the cult. The university is a and faction of it. Then sometimes you get, like, you know, cults of student groups that are attached to universities. Yes. Like, say, for instance, prestigious Ivy League ones that have, like, weird groups that, with bizarre traditions going back to forever ago. The, the kind that jump off of tall, of, of high places with umbrellas. Yes. We're talking about Gilmore Girls Gilmore right Girls, Girl- yeah. Okay, honestly, though, like, these skull and bones things and stuff like that, do we have proof that any of these are real? Yeah. Like, we should talk about this sometime. Ooh, maybe. Like, you know... I, in the end, opted to not go Ivy League, so I never had this opportunity. Oh, if only. I should I should have followed through on that. Oh, uh, what were you thinking? So, are you ready to go into my section? Yeah. Did I talk calls? as long as I normally do? Yeah. God damn, this was shorter than usual. Well, it's okay. Uh, mine's going to be... I can cut mine down a bit. So, this week, I'm going to indulge my inner 11-year-old, and I'm going to talk about guano. 
a.k.a. Okay. Bat or and Bird And my job poop. is to go back and attach this to stage moms and girls and their their children who are afraid of them. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I could already just jump in and say it's a whole, it's a shitty situation. Oh, nice pun. We're going to get lots of those. And I'm not just doing this because of the poop jokes. There actually is a kind of interesting history about guano being used as a commodity that I had no idea about. And wasn't it used in makeup for a long time? I didn't get into that. But yeah, it could have been. I'm pretty sure it was used in mascara. Yeah. And it also gives me an excuse to say Peruvian boobies. It's a type of bird. Yes, I know. Boobies. So why did people care enough about bird poop for this to be a big thing that I was able to find out about and research? Well, first of all, guano was use, used in the manuf- to manufacture saltpeter, which is uh, potassium nitrate, which is a component of gunpowder, which like, you know, say for instance, back in the olden days of like the Napoleonic Wars, which- Who's Napoleon? He's a guy who wasn't as short as people thought he was. He lost he lost to some rabbits. And that's going to be a running theme until you actually teach me who Napoleon is, Austin. I can't. Okay. Now I can't teach you who Napoleon is because this is a goldmine of comedy for us. I could. Okay. So you're going to make me research Napoleon? Yes. That would be awesome. Now, should I actually research Napoleon or just make shit up? <laughs> I think either one would be good. We, we very rarely make shit up in this podcast. Um... The only times we really, like, in terms of our research, sometimes we make things up is when we're trying to give an example without giving a real world example. Yeah. Um, I didn't make anything up in this entire cult one. I just didn't name any real world names, though. Yes. Other than the ones that were public knowledge. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was used for making gunpowder because what happens is because there's lots of nitrogen and potassium in guano, uh, like water will cause it to leach out and form crystals that you can gather. And later on, people figured out that well, we can just take the guano and we can like separate this out like chemically. You and haven't actually salt-eater. said what bird what guano is yet, I don't think. Guano is bird or bat poop. There you go. I'm pretty sure bat guano was used in, in mascara, but that also could have been one of those urban legends they taught kids to well, keep us from wearing makeup too early, like those those little girls on the dance show. The thing is, though, like if there is like potassium nitrate in it or a chemical derived from guano, which there's lots of like, there's lots of chemicals in guano, they could have gotten something out of it that was used in mascara and makeup. I'm pretty sure like I, I grew up learning that guano was in mascara. I'm going to look it up. It is white and powdery. I bet it was used in makeup. Yeah. A lot of things like. And so, yeah, it was important for gunpowder because like, you know, places needed it. Like during the American Civil War, the uh, the Union blockade of the Confederacy blocked a lot of like, you know, stuff for gunpowder from getting there. So the Confederacy was scrambling to find places where they could get guano in caves in the South to make gunpowder with. And they like it was a problem for them because they had trouble getting gunpowder because they didn't have enough saltpeter. Guano was not used in mascara. It was because it was similar to the word guanine. Oh. Which derives from the Spanish word guano, or yeah, it it can it contains guanine, which is not the same thing as guano. Okay, um, but it is manufactured from fish scales, meaning mascara is not vegan or vegetarian, or at least. I don't know if it still has it. I assume it does. Huh. Good to know. But the important thing that guano was used for was fertilizer, because again, it's high in potassium, phosphorus, nitrogen. You know, it's got what plants crave. Which is not just electrolytes. Even though those, yes, those technically are electrolytes. Okay. And in 1802, a Prussian explorer named 
Alexander von Humboldt, air quotes, discovered the fertilizing capabilities of guano. And yes, he discovered it in the uh, white people, we just took credit for indigenous knowledge way. Mm -hmm. Because the the islands off the coast of Peru are like perfect for collecting guano. Uh, They're dry and they're not very humid. So not a lot of the like stuff leaches out from moisture. Uh, There aren't predators around the area that can play on these birds because it's safe for them. So they're able to safely nest there and safely nest there for long periods of time. There's plentiful fish. There's currents that come up from the Antarctic that are rich in nutrients. There's lots of fish. So there's lots of fish for these birds to eat. And there's even a specific species of bird, the guani cormorant, who is literally named after the fact that it it shits a lot. This is a bird that just poops a lot. And it is perfect for making guano. And it makes great guano for fertilizer. So there's this just shit bird. (laughs) You're making a face. I'm trying to not say the thing that came into my head relating to the stage moms. Proceed. Like what some of these stage moms make their daughters do with all the laxatives. Oh, and we got there. We got there. Now, guys, I want to be clear on this. That is a bad, bad thing to do. Do not do that to your kids. I have also seen it happen. That is a real thing that happens. Um, I never saw it as a teacher. If I had seen it as a teacher, I would have known what to do. But yeah, I saw it as a younger person. And no, my mother was not a stage mom at any point. So we don't have to worry about that. I'm almost like, really? (laughs) This is what you want to do? Okay, if it makes you happy. And there were tens of millions of these nesting birds, which also include the Peruvian booby. And they were, like, they were estimating around 53 million by the time like European explorers discovered it. So that's a lot of birds. That is a lot of birds. And But the Peruvian natives knew about this. The Incans actually closely controlled the gathering because they realized this was a finite research resource because birds were pooping it. And they also uh, realized that the, since the birds were pooping it, they need to protect these birds. So disturbing their nests gathering their eggs or like killing these birds was punishable by death, which, uh, which is by the way, just a suggestion for whoever that drone pilot is that crashed his drone and scared off all those birds and killed a generation of an endangered bird. Yes. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, just be like bird drone crash. You'll find out what happened. It's awful. But because we literally destroyed that entire culture when the, like when, colonizers arrived, uh, they stopped gathering the guano, and there were literally mountains of shit that built up from these birds. So about 300 years later, this white guy discovered the miracle fertilizer that there were little amount, literally mountains of just waiting to be mined. And this was kind of good news for Peru, that there was the, suddenly this demand for guano for fertilizer, because there's like ships of trade goods that would come to Peru that didn't really have anything to bring back with them. They had like some whaling industry, but like they had their own ships already. They weren't shifting other stuff back. This was just stuff you need to survive that was manufactured that they'd get that'd be expensive because there was nothing for these trade ships to bring back. So it was more expensive to the things but now they had guano and they could carry back loads of guano to europe and they sell it as a fertilizer it was great for peru so it made it cheaper for them to get supplies and they had something to sell and in 1840 the peruvian government actually nationalized guano production and was able to use it to fund all sorts of public works like for example uh they bought freedom for its about 25,000 enslaved uh enslaved individuals and they were able to abolish a head tax which is just a we get a certain set tax for this village for how many people live there on the indigenous people so they did some pretty progressive stuff especially for the time with this guano money and like over the next 20 years millions of tons of guano were mined from peru and as well as other places could realize hey there's other islands birds poop on why don't we go get that guano now peru had the best guano because it was so dry and deserty there that there wasn't moisture leaching out all these nutrients so the peruvian guano was the best guano I'm like, I'm like, am I writing advertisements for Peruvian guano? Uh, Peruvian guano, we are looking for sponsors. So Peruvian guano, hit us up. 
And the, by the way, the, uh, you can see like advertisements from the time for guano. And it's so funny because it's like, it's like, here's these bags. Hey, you want to buy a bag of poop? Well, here's a, here's a pretty woman in a Spanish dress on this bag telling you to buy poop. That, yeah, it tracks. It all tracks. It's like advertising has not changed. No. So they, and boats would actually be waiting for like four months at a time just for a sl- chance to load up on guano, or as they called it, white gold. Ew. Yeah. Uh, the UK alone imported tw- 2 million tons of guano for, for as fertilizer. And it's estimated that Peru made around $50 million in the guano trade, which like in 1840 to 1860 money was a lot of money. I didn't actually do the like calculation on it, but it is astronomical sums. And oops. Uh, also, side note, it is theorized that the potato blight that caused the potato famine in Ireland actually was carried to America first by guano from Peru that was used as fertilizer because potatoes were native to Peru. I don't understand how that has to do with the blight. Oh, the uh, the uh, fungus that caused the potato blight was carried in the guano brought from Peru. Oh, okay. But this wasn't sustainable. They were mining guano faster than even the world's best pooping bird could keep up with. And the mining disrupted the nesting, so there were fewer birds. Kind of like roads. Yeah, we're talking about, like, when this all started, there was around 53 million birds nesting in there. Uh, in 2017, there were only 2.1 million. So this more than decimated the population. It's fractions of what it was. But the demand remained high even as the supply started to dwindle. And that meant the prices got high. I saw one source that said it was as high as $76 a pound, but I couldn't find anything to confirm it. And all of the other sources didn't have anything about prices. So take that with a grain of salt. That seems ridiculously high. And I wonder if they meant $76 a ton, which would still have been high for this. So, and of course the people weren't happy uh, because like then, because, Hey, this fertilizer is expensive. We need our cheap fertilizer. There's this commodity we've grown dependent on. We need it. So other governments throughout the world decided they need to take action. And some of the more powerful countries took very decisive action. For example, Spain, the former like rulers of Peru, decided that the Guano Islands were actually still Spain's. <laughs> Though Peru was independent, only Peru was independent. These islands off the coast, eh, they're still Spain's. Peru said, like, no, those are our islands. And Spain said, oh, well, then why is my navy there? <laughs> And so Peru had to negotiate with Spain over guano rights. And because Spain basically held all the cards, it was not a favorable deal for Peru. Like, it was a really bad deal. Like, because their entire economy was tied to guano, like, most of their revenue was from guano. They tried to diversify earlier, but they didn't, there wasn't an incentive because they were making so much money off of guano. Like, no one was going to start another business or have anything else to export. So guano was the entire economy. And when that went away, it just crushed everything. There was decades of unrest and strife in Peru because of this. Which, by the way, uh, the same thing happened in Venezuela with their oil. They tied their entire economy and their money to the price of oil. And when that fluctuated, it caused a lot of problems for them. It was not that the fact that they're socialist, it's that they tied their entire economy to oil, which was stupid. Yeah, this is making me all think of what's happening. I think it's like kind of in the Northwest-ish, where all the farmers are like not getting any water because it came from one basin, which holds endangered species in it, and their water level has gotten too low for it to continue to provide water. And nobody in the decades since they've known this problem was starting has come up with an alternative solution for them. Yeah. So the farmers on one side are like, uh, we're losing our livelihoods. We're losing everything we have. On the other side, these endangered fish, which are sacred to the Native Americans out there, they are dying. And when you lose a species, 
entirely, it affects the entire ecosystem. So there's like this battle of, you know, farmers who are like farmers over fish. And then environmentalists are like, but without the fish, you also still won't have your farm. And one of the biggest proponents in this is that Bundy guy who has run all of those militia yeah, things. Fuck him. And he's apparently garnering more followers to oh, do another invasion look situation. at Look at that. Another cult. So, and of course, because Spain did this, this led to other powerful countries kind of panicking a little bit and trying to figure out how they were going to get guano because if Spain controls the guano, this is bad for us. So, and the United States um, took a interesting way of doing this. Uh, in their quest for guano, they passed the 1856 Guano Islands Act. It boils down to any individual could claim an uninhabited island to mine guano, and it would be a part of America. And the military would back your claim. So I find an island in the middle of the Caribbean or the Pacific that's got guano on it and no one lives there. That's part of America. I can mine it. And if you try and take my guano, the Navy's going to show up and shoot at you. So this is literally don't steal my shit. Don't steal my shit. Keep your hands off my shit. And hundreds of islands were claimed under this act. Like, they would go in, they would scrape off all the guano, and then, like, they just drop the claim because the guano was gone. There's no reason to have this island. I don't want it anymore. It's just a worthless rock in the middle of the water that there's no good purpose for, except for, like, birds nesting on it. And then uh, we ended up actually keeping a few of them because they realized, oh, hey, these are great military bases in the Pacific because, like, we're starting to have coal ships which need to have like places to stop and get coal because you have to burn a lot of it and you can't store a ton on a ship. So they made good coaling stations. And one of them was uh, Midway Island, which you might remember from World War II and the Battle of Midway. Uh, that was actually originally claimed as a guano island. I'm not sure how good it was at guano, but hey, that's how we got that one. I don't know anything about any of this. Okay. Some people know. There was also a few small military conflicts over guano islands. Uh, Bolivia and Peru actually squabbled over an island chain for decades. Again, these were very small scale because these aren't big islands. Like you could build houses on a few of them or maybe have like a small neighborhood, but nothing big. But not only were there conflicts between, between countries, there's also conflicts about workers because, believe it or not, gathering guano is disgusting and backbreaking labor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's largely done by hand even today because it's not feasible to get heavy machinery out onto these islands. They're remote. They're small. They're rocky. If they were like level and you could do stuff on them, there would be trees or other animals that would endanger these nesting birds. These islands are inhospitable, which is why the birds are there. They're the only ones who can really do anything on them. So it's by hand. It's people with shovels and burlap sacks, filling them with these sacks with guano and carrying them down to a boat. And it's so people would gather it with shovels and sacks. Then they would sift it to get any impurities out like rocks or dead birds or they're getting the impurities out of shit. The, yes. They are purifying the shit. They want pure shit. They don't want anything else in this shit. They want the shittiest shit possible. They want the pure shit, man. But not the cocaine that you find on a street corner in the 90s. Yeah, not that. And then they would uh, take it and they would kind of put it in a kiln to bake the moisture out of it. So it'd be lighter and easier to ship. So it would just turn into a white powder, much like cocaine in the 90s. <laughs> Or, um, oh, what was that thing that they were all afraid of going through the mail? Anthrax. Anthrax, yeah. And again, so this was back-breaking labor on inhospitable islands, and it was largely done by underpaid indigenous labor or virtual slavery. Is this still when America is doing it? Yeah, we're going to get to this. Mm. Uh, thousands of men were kidnapped from southern China and the Pacific Islands to work in guano mines as virtual slaves. 
about two-thirds of Peru's workers were Chinese laborers that agreed to work for them for eight years in exchange for passage to America. Indentured servitude. But they were misled. They thought, oh, these would be better conditions. They didn't know they were going to be working on these inhospitable islands. Uh-huh. Many of them were told they were actually going to work in the gold mines in California, uh-huh. not in guano mines in Peru. And the conditions were brutal. On top of the labor, uh, floggings were common. Lung problems from guano dust was just constant. Uh, people would get buried alive in avalanches of guano because they were in unsafe conditions, and these mountains of shit would just fall over on people and crush them and kill them. Uh, there was a U.S. politician who actually went to some of the uh, guano mines, uh, George Washington Peck. From, he was a U.S. representative from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saw the conditions that these workers were in in Peru, and it's like you could see the welts on their back, the ones who had been there. And you could tell the ones who had been there longer, too. Because the light had gone out of their eyes and they were sallow and they had given up on life. And that these workers were being worked to death as plainly as uh, hack horses were in the cities. Which was like the horses that would just be flogged to carry people back and forth until they died of exhaustion. Uh-huh. They were treated as poorly as livestock. And livestock deserves to get treated better than that too. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't just Chinese laborers. Native Hawaiians, who largely didn't speak or read English, uh-huh. uh, were handed contracts that they signed that were that said, hey, you're going to work for basically nothing in these horrible conditions. Uh, you're going to be completely at the mercy of these like laborers, of, of these overseers, and you're going to work here for years before we even think about bringing you back because we're going to hold you to these contracts that you didn't understand when you signed them. And it was bad. Like one in 36 of the Native Hawaiians who were brought to these islands died before their contract was up. It was even worse for the natives of the Easter Islands. About 800 of them were kidnapped into slavery to work in these Peruvian mines. Only 12 survived to ever make it home when Peru tried to repatriate them years later after they... So America is still running this and then Peru tried to repatriate them? Yeah, these were some American mines, and this. And then Peru was like, um... oh no. Peru was also basically bringing in slaves from China, too. Mm, okay. Then. After the American Civil War, uh, companies just flat out lied to recently freed African Americans. Uh, They told them that they were going to tropical islands and that they'd be picking fruit and there would be beautiful women available. Ew. Uh, They were not. They were uh, instead they were shoveling shipped on shit on barren rocks in the middle of the ocean. They were being whipped as punishment or as punishment. They'd be put in stocks and suspended in the air. And were they being paid during this, or were they still slavery situations? They were being paid a pittance. This was mm-hmm. basically slavery. And one island actually had a violent uprising. Uh, the workers used rocks, picks, axes, even dynamite to kill their overseers, uh, and they killed five of them. And it was like a riot over these conditions. It was not great. Mm-hmm. And it never really improved on these islands because guano as fertilizer got replaced because we figured out how to manufacture it. Because a lot of the big thing in guano was the nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Well, you know where there's a lot of nitrogen? The air. Mm -hmm. Most of the air you're breathing right now is nitrogen. And they figured out a way to produce to produce fertilizer using the air and petroleum. Yeah, like we always say that we breathe oxygen, but when that is like a part of what we breathe. Like if you're in a complete oxygen environment, something's gone horribly wrong. Oh yeah, it's uh, oxygen toxicity is an actual thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's 
yeah, you, most of what we read right now, nitrogen. It's like, yes, they will put like, they will give you additional oxygen when you need it. That is oxygen. It is not like they're not putting nit- nitrogen up your nose or anything, yeah. but you can have too much oxygen. So you yeah. can have too much nitrogen too, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and actually ni- uh, nitrogen in its gas form like that is fairly inert, which is how, how Me took, too. which is why it took us a while to figure out how to make it like, you know, a form that we can use in fertilizer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, guano mining actually does still exist though. Yeah. In Peru, especially in Peru, uh, but they've changed a lot. I'd they, hope so. They've set strict limits on how much guano they can gather. Uh, they actually cut off times in which you can harvest it and can't to match the nesting season of the birds. So they're not like working on these islands where they're nesting, so the birds have a peaceful space to reproduce, which is great. They've even like you know put cr- made criminalized like gathering eggs from these nests or disturbing birds while they're nesting. They have criminalized that again, and they've changed the safety conditions in working. It's much safer. Fewer people are doing it. They've got like set hours they can work, like set times. You actually volunteered to do this for it's a volunteered. living. And it also, uh, the workers there make $750 a month, which is more than double the average wage of people in the area. Okay. They also get full benefits. Mm-hmm. So these are much better jobs. They're paid, well, very well for the area. So it's a desirable industry now to an extent. And yeah, that's that's guano. And you managed to tie it into Dance Moms. In the worst possible way, because boy, does it, like, honestly, the, the dance slash stage moms thing, it can get rolled arc. Yeah. I'm so glad, like... When I was a kid, guys, I wanted nothing more than to be an actress. I wanted to be famous. I wanted all that. My mom was like, I'll take you to auditions and stuff, but I get to approve the auditions you go on. And if I feel like something's sketch, we're not doing it. Like my mom was, my mom was a stage job in the sense that she allowed me to be on stage and supported me in doing so. So yeah, that was, that was Guano. I'm, I was really, gonna, I was, I was kind of surprised you didn't work it in with like the horrible labor conditions to, to compare with these like dance moms, but. Oh, I can do that too. You want me to do that right now? No, it's really too dark. <laughs> like I can talk, I can talk about the uh, fact that a lot of ballerinas I've met were forced to eat cotton balls so they would feel full. Oh God. Yeah. That, uh, not great for your intestines. No, not at all. So are you ready for questions now? Yeah. All right. Will the fact that jewelry ads are forever ruined now because you'll associate white, white gold with guano be on the test? Is white gold even a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. You'll see it in Jared Jewelry ad, this white gold heart pendant. But is it is it really gold or is it sterling silver and they're just trying to be fancy as shit? I don't know. Also, sterling silver, most silver is sterling silver and they lie about that too. Ooh. Silver is not uh, tough enough to be used on its own. Did not know that. Hmm? So next time we have to fight some werewolves. Good to know. Yeah, I don't know how they're making the silver bullets, man. All right. Will the fact that the Inklings had sustainably used guano for centuries before white people caught on and took credit for it be on the test? We don't talk about that. Will the fact that the workers were abused and in virtually slavery conditions be on the test? No, because we can't talk about how people who weren't black were enslaved, too. Yeah. Will the fact like, that... Okay, again, the, the majority were. Yeah. The majority of... And then the Chinese guys all thought that they were indentured servants, which is a different thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Will the will the fact that American imperialism really got its start as a quest for poop be on the test? Is that really the first time? Yeah, the guano as like first started we left the continent for like to settle places was the Guano Act. It was huh. yeah, the start of American imperialism. No, cuz we don't talk about American imperialism anyway. Yeah. Like I know we turned I we learned about annexing countries. I remember raising we having like how can we annex countries? Like how can we just go in there and say you're ours now? And the teacher did not have an answer. <laughs> like we just can. I'm like so like legal- that, that's I think that's it. I was actually. like legally we can just go say we own your country now and no one can stop us and she, they're like yeah I'm like can people do that to us and then I think there was a pause and then we moved on. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yeah. 
Yeah. It's like, you can't, st- yeah. and like, it's all power dynamics. Laws are just a construct. And are you ready for the final question? Sure. Will Peruvian boobies be on the test? Okay, you didn't even, like, talk about them. You just wanted to say those words. They just, they're just one of the birds that poop on an island. Um, That's pigeons all I can... poop in New York. Yeah, but do they have funny names? Pigeons are smarter than people. You will not convince me otherwise. Yeah. Oh, God. One of my favorite quotes I've heard was about bears. And someone's asking, like, how is it so difficult? Like, how are bears able to get into these bear-proof things? And, like, all this stuff, like, the bear-proofing doesn't work. And the park ranger said, there's a significant overlap between our dumbest attendees and our smartest bears. I actually was going to, this week, I was going to do how to escape a bear attack. Turns out it's not that hard. Just go to the National Park Service website. And it is literally three sentences. About two different types of, well, three different types of bears. Like, if it's uh, if it's this type of bear, do this. If it's this type of bear, do that. Uh, and they said, a lot of people think they should throw off their pack and it will distract the bear. It won't. Leave your pack on so that if you get tackled, it will attack your pack and not you. Smart. I usually just carry around some tuna oil. Or some, no, some sardine oil? These are no. bears. These are bears because I use tuna instead of sardines. Don't they eat salmon? Science. They do eat salmon. Damn it. Like there's, You're so much better at bearology than I am. There's like certain bears that you are supposed to like be like, I am a I am a human. Hello, bear, and then walk away sideways, like you know, crab walk. <laughs> um, then there are some bears where it's like back away only, and then in some cases it's like just if you get to the, if you get to the point where you have to, just fucking run and hope they don't catch you because most guys for the most part they are just seriously not interested in you. Like you're just near their babies, and if you walk away, they're like, okay, cool. Oh, like that lady who knocked the bear off of the fence. That teenager teenager she was 17 oh god yeah the uh the bear and two cubs were up on the fence and the dogs were like i'm gonna eat the bear and they was like little yucking fucking dorkies and shit and then one normal sized dog um and the bear was swat like the bear was not lunging at the bear was like what the fuck get man? away like, get away swatting at him no 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 keep your distance well she runs out though and i can't blame her i probably would have done the same thing and just shoves this fucking bear off of her fence and it falls it like oh, comically falls too. Yeah, it like it's it's like fucking Yogi Bear up in here, and the bit that she's like yells at the dogs. The dogs all run back in except for one that she has to go scoop up. So you, and the bear like comes pops it up and you, and she is booking it because you know at that point that is a good time to run from a bear. I bet. Uh-huh. But she also has given an interview saying that was a poor choice. I am just lucky, and she has um she sprained her hand during it because bears are heavy. Um, all the, it's funny. All the videos of bears are. I think bears are afraid of cats. Like all those videos of, of like house cats being like, "Go away, bear!" And the bear is like, "Oh shit!" Cats are scary. Well, like I, I don't know. Maybe they can smell that this is like a more claw and teeth filled predator even than them. <laughs> you know that bears are omnivores. Yeah, I thought bears were carnivores. Bears are omnivores. No, they, eat, they eat berries. I, mean, I guess I kind of knew that, but you know, I always thought about them being carnivores who ate other stuff when they did when they didn't have access. But no, they're just full blown omnivores like people. Yeah, dogs are also omnivores. Cats are carnivores. Yes, yes, they are. The except cats... for except for Zombie, who wants to who keeps trying to eat jalapenos and Cheetos and Cheetos. And cats are also not nocturnal. That is a myth. They're crepusculous. Crepuscular. Crepuscular. And they also don't actually sleep for that many. Well, they do sleep that many hours a day, but they are very rarely actually in a deep sleep. They are always on alert. <laughs> Except for ours. Well, I think they feel safe enough now. Yeah. That is a whole other episode where I could talk about sleep patterns of different animals. Ooh. I know you all are fascinated. So fascinating. Where can people find us? Why oh, they can find us on Twitter at on the test pod, on Instagram at on the test pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod, and our website on the test pod.com. You can also find us on your favorite podcast application, you know, 
like the like the youths say. The youths. Yes, w- find us on your podcast app, which I'm guessing you already did because you're listening to this part. They could be listening through our website, I guess. Yeah. That's such a boomer thing, though. Who listens to podcasts through the website? Actually, a lot of people listen through through um, like online channels. It looks like I, oh. I occasionally glance at our statistics. And Neat. did um, I just did I just alienate like a third of our listeners? Probably yes. Damn it! You made me lose. Oh yeah, find us on your favorite podcast app. If you have the iTunes or the Apple Podcast, whatever the fuck they're called these days, give us that five star review. We haven't had a review in a while. We kind of miss you guys. I know. We know you're still there, and we know we don't have as many reviews as we have listeners. And if you don't like us, why are you still here? Don't leave us a review. Just go away. Yeah. I mean, don't go away. We Stay. We love you. We need your validation. But if they're staying and not giving us that review, we're not getting that validation. Oh, my God. Are Wait, are we in a cult where our listeners are the cult leaders and we're just trying to please them? That actually, like, that's actually an interesting thought. Um, Damn it. I wanted to be a cult leader. That's the only reason you start a podcast. It, like I was saying, though, the po- the podcasters are not the cult leaders. The fans become the cult leaders. I can't tell you how many podcasts I listen to where the podcasters have had to go on and they've had to shut down their Facebook pages and they've had to say, like, guys, we have heard about what's happening in the Facebook groups. Here's the thing. We have nothing to do with those groups. We did not approve those groups. We did not approve those moderators. We did not approve those admin. We do not approve of what's happening in those groups. We also can't do anything about this. So please leave us alone and go out, go deal with them. Go report the group. Go whatever you have to do. But please leave us alone because we don't like it either. We just can't do anything. Yeah. So, oh, man, I wonder if anyone's going to start like a really toxic fan group about us. That'll be how so. we. That, that's how we know we made you, it. You know you've made it big when somebody somewhere has misused your existence. Oh wow! Oh, also, here's a thought I had that I like forgot to bring up: Is Costco a cult? I'm paying the money. I'm getting free stuff from them from the samples, and going there is an emotional ordeal. Okay, so with the free stuff, you're not actually getting those from Costco. <gasps> I'm not. No, I might have interviewed for those jobs because I was told they were training development or communications jobs. Those people, not unlike the ones in the guano mines, were lied to about the job they were offered and then were suddenly standing for 10 hours a day. Costco actually doesn't have anything to do with it to speak of in most cases. Costco just rents out the space to a third party that they don't know anything about. That's crazy. Now, some of them might be a Costco affiliates. I think if they've got a Costco uniform on, they probably work for Costco. But if they don't, they work for a third party company. Neat. Yeah, one of them is based here, and they're pretty damn big. Ooh. And I asked them, actually, when I sat down the interview, I'm like, okay, I went through all your stuff. I can't figure out what you do. And she actually legit straight up said, we can't tell you what we do until we hire you. And I'm like, okay, oh, I'm not going to work here. Have a nice day. Yeah, that's a cult. Uh, I figured out through some deeper research that they were running some of the Costco, a lot of the Costco, not the little booths, but the big ones on your way out. Oh, okay. We can't tell you what you do until you what we do until you work for us, guys. That's a cult. Don't join it. Yeah. Well, I guess on that note. On that note, I'm hungry too. So Me let's too. go. Class, Class dismissed. dismissed.